Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Stockability AI. I'm your host, Austin Cornelio, joined by my co-host, Mike Taylor. And today we have a special guest, Mr. Ryan Carson. Welcome, Ryan. Hey. Good, Good to, to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, great to see you. Welcome to the show. Um, so Ryan is a serial entrepreneur who has taken multiple businesses from zero to millions. Um, he's raised a total of $23 million in venture funding. Uh, he was named Entrepreneur of the Year in 2015. And his latest venture is Maple, which is a one-on-one -on -one AI-powered sales coach and course. Pretty awesome. Um, I think this fits really nicely into the topic today. We're going to spend some time talking about AI products. Um, you know, now with ChatGPT and um, you know a lot of these other large language models, Google Gemini, etc., offering API capabilities, it's it's really lit the whole development landscape on fire. So, why don't we start there, Ryan? Tell us a little bit about what you've been working on lately in terms of Maple. Yeah, um, good to be here. Fun to chat about AI. It's basically all I think about um, and do now. <laughs> I, I was laughing uh, with my wife and saying I probably chat to ChatGPT Plus more than her now. Um, to both of our, <laughs> I'm sure that went over well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm we sure, made yeah. the merit stronger. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so you know, I'm like everybody that's going through this, right? Just blown over by the power of LLMs and their ability to really augment me. Um, and so I went the traditional tech CEO founder path, starting computer science, you know, uh, built companies, sold companies, and then uh, AI hit. And I realized, wow, you know, I want to, I want to ride the wave instead of get crushed by it. So I hadn't shipped code since I think like 2007. Wow. You know, I had hired engineers and VP of engineers and CTOs. And I thought, you know what? I want to ship code. I want to build an app. I want to really get my hands dirty. So I used GPT plus to teach me uh, front end and back end JavaScript, which was scary and uh, ended up shipping a real app uh, built on the open AI APIs called Maple. And I, I, uh, I came out of education. So my whole career has been about education. And so I wanted to build a course and a coach that would teach. So it has been a fun, wild journey. Yeah, that's fantastic. So your background is in computer science, though, correct? Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. So I, but it's funny though because I'm not a great dev. <laughs> so um, you know, I was always like middle of my class in computer science. There was always the smart guy, and I asked for help. Um, always felt like I wasn't that good, um, and so I'm not a hardcore engineer. I'm, I'm really m like most everyone else out there, curious. And uh, and I, and I like to learn, but I'm not a hardcore engineer. Got it right. Yeah, on. they say, Ryan, you know, those who can't do teach, right? <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. It seems to be true. <laughs> so what what does that mean? ChatGPT is because it can do both. So I'm not sure. well, it's funny because I was I had a, a coffee this morning with a, with a, a new friend who um, comes from the education background. And is now doing, you know, uh, working for New York Life and, you know, kind of taking the approach of, you know, these people who are getting to retirement age has been educators for years and years and haven't had really any experience investing their own money or doing their own thing. And now they're kind of pushed out of this like cocoon they've lived in. Um, as teachers, as people who are, you know, taken care of in terms of their 
financial needs and their, you know, their 401ks and their retirement plans. But now they're all kind of just jettisoned out into the world um, without any Mm -hmm. kind of background or anything to understand that. And he's kind of using that approach um, to, you know, make headway in with his, you know, New York life insurance policies and things like that. And um, it kind of leads to the idea of the the teaching, you know, your your um, product maple.coach is is tackling a fundamental need that people have right to learn solve curious curiosities and figure things out uh, what made you choose going into sales as your your first approach into the coaching aspect um so at treehouse we taught over a million people how to code and so got sort of deep into that niche um, but while I was building Treehouse, I had to teach myself sales. Um, you know, as the CEO, I had to go out and sell and close deals. Um, Mike, you're an experienced salesperson and you, you already know all these things, but for folks like me, I had never been trained on sales. And so I took a video course and it was okay, but I just found the whole process really painful. Um, and then once I started selling, there was no real support, right? Like as the founder CEO, I couldn't go tell my sales team, well, I'm struggling to close this deal. You know, does anybody have any ideas? Like, that's not a safe place to do that. Um, and hiring a sales coach, you know, was hit and miss and expensive. And so I always wished I had a coach. And then I realized, wow, I mean, LLMs are the perfect coach and teacher. Um, and I picked sales as the vertical uh, because I thought it was a painful thing for people to learn they needed it. Um, but we'll talk about this uh, as we talk about the GPT store that launched and and what's going on. But I really think people want their hand held as they're interacting with an LLM. I know Austin, you and I have talked about this as well. I I think the user experience of learning um, isn't just chatting to an LLM. There's a lot of of layers around that that matter to humans. Um, And I think there's just a huge opportunity for people to build hyper-focused verticalized schools that teach subjects um, and I don't think chat GPT plus is going to be, uh, the venue where everybody learns from now. And I think it'll become, uh, diversified and interesting, but built on open AI's, uh, APIs or, or Google's APIs with Gemini or, you know, Anthropics, uh, APIs with, with Claude. So, um, the, the big, I'll close the big with this, the big unlock is that you can scale one-on-one tutoring affordably, right? That just wasn't possible before but now you can scale uh one-on-one tutoring at you know cents on the dollar and that's going to change education forever yeah it's um it's quite amazing you know i spend a lot of time thinking about you know exactly what you just said in in terms of the old model versus this new model that has been essentially introduced to us over the last year like this is this is a brand new thing like you you (laughs) you could not have built maple a year ago like you just it would it would have it would have cost you tens of millions of dollars like it would have been ridiculous right and and now for you know what like a prepayment of like 50 bucks or 100 bucks you know whatever to to preload you know your your open ai account with some token usage you you can go ham with it it's shocking um you know at treehouse we had uh, up to 100 employees we had full-time teachers we had 
video producers, we had script writers, you know, we had uh, student assistants who helped the uh, teaching assistants. So it's this huge infrastructure. Um, and now, you know, we have an always on uh, tutor that has basically the world's knowledge for cents on the dollar. Now, we're kind of seeing like, is this going to replace everybody? And, and, you know, we could talk about that, but the, the answer is no. I think it's going to create an explosion of, of uh, micro opportunities uh, that are going to be pretty fascinating. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that we uncovered, you know, in the conversation I was having this morning, because it's somebody who's not very well aware of anything that's happening in AI, um, and the, the idea of it being a tool, you know, like I gave him some simple sales examples of like being able to do follow ups and being able to do, you know, notes on on an account and things like that, that um, being pretty new to sales were things that he, you know, ate up most of his day. You know, those kind right. of things where it's like the follow-ups and the notes and like remembering, oh, I got to do these emails that I need to send out and I got to do these follow-ups or, or remember that Ryan likes, you know, um, this type of coffee with, you know, black and sweet, you know, like whatever these right. details are that you want to remember about it. Now you could just talk into your machine and it'll make all the notes, make all the recordings. You can literally schedule all your follow-ups. Um, right at the time you're having the meeting as opposed to like having to come out of a meeting and hit it while it's hot and try and remember to put your notes in there if you don't have another meeting yep. to go to if you know so like from just a perspective of the sale a uh, perspective of the the actual block and tackle sales which is you know what i refer to as just the the nuts and bolts of it you know the, those those notes and the contacts and the updates and the follow-ups like that stuff is now yep. completely can be automated and um i know that's, that's a big difference yeah this is the augmentation factor that's pretty wild so one thing that i do um is i really i really want to remember details about people that i meet um, i obviously struggle to do that like most humans and so sometimes if i know that it for instance where i live i have a little file on my phone and I, whenever i meet someone i write down their name and like a little bit about them and then when I see them walking towards me in the street, I'll think, oh, yeah, okay, I wrote down their name. I'll quickly pull up the Apple note, try to find it, you know, like male woman. Okay, her name is Linda. Okay, yeah. And then I can say, hey, Linda, nice to see you. Um, I think this kind of augmentation is going to happen pretty quick um, when the next iPhone comes out. Um, my gut instinct is that is that we're going to see, and I, we, we should probably talk about the rabbit and what happened with that. Um, but we're going to see devices um, become aware of what you're doing um, and then ask you if you want to remember things and then bring things up at strategic moments, right? So what I would love to happen is, and, and this is going to bring up all sorts of privacy problems, is I would, since my iPhone is already listening to me anyway, um, I would like to give right. it permission to store that locally and listen to everything that's being said around me and then you know, it should know at the end of a conversation, it should like make a little noise or I should, I should be able to say, Hey Siri, um, you know, can you summarize that conversation for me and just remember it? Um, and then next time you see me walking towards that person, like highlight three things from that conversation and it will whisper, you know, in my ear or say something about it. Like that's the kind of augmentation that we all want as humans. Yeah. I, I, my, my wife and I, we lived in, when we lived in Mexico, we had a shared note 
And every time we went into a place and we'd write down the yeah. name of the restaurant or the bar and bartender is this waitress is this. And, you know, and then we were, we were going back to that place. We would just take a casual glance at it and, and remember who everybody was and kind of, you know, a little bit about them, like you said, and I would, <clears throat> it really resonates with people, you know, when you remember those things and, you know, to leave it to my brain, which, you know, can't quite parse all that information out. Um, having that little tool, that little note um, was a, a hugely beneficial um, and creating like better relationships because whether or not I think fondly of that person by me remembering their name or remembering something to ask about their mom or to, you know, things now kind of shows that my intent, you know, to them is to be, you know, have a relationship, you know, and I think mm. that like those kind of things are important signals. And I think I, I like what you're saying about that. Do you all think though, that as we start to get augmented by AI, that, that somehow those things are going to become cheap and not valuable. Like when it, be, when it becomes, everybody remembers everything because they have this constant Ram, you know, that gets pulled up and, and at the right moments, will you, will we still feel good about, you know, remembering Linda's name and the fact that she has, you know, a, a, a bulldog that's sick right now. I think so. But how do you feel about that? Yeah, that's a, a good question. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, there's definitely like a commoditization, if you will, that happens across the board with this sort of thing, because, you know, like now I'm, I'm taking something that I have to spend a lot of effort in and I have to a want to do it I want to be I want to remember remember your name I want to remember pieces of our last interaction with each other that will benefit me for whatever reasons in the future and I want it to be easy but when that becomes automatic and easy does it become so invaluable that it's like not that big of a deal anymore so I don't I don't know um, I think that's a really good thing to highlight and keep an eye on. I also think that plays into a very similar thing across the board for lots of different product functionalities, because now it's so easy to build stuff. And, you know, I could have an idea, someone a million miles away could have the same idea, we could build it, you could have 20 people building the same thing. But now what is that differentiator like there has to be something that makes your products like really valuable and what is that right so yeah. that's where i come to the psychology and the user experience and the value so i think like everybody says hey you know you have to build something that has a lot of value value trumps everything for sure I'm not arguing that but value is becoming kind of cheap right now because yeah. of this whole thing. So yeah. it's it's a very hard nut to crack, you know, especially um, amongst people like us, you know, I would consider us like indie app developers, you know, mostly, um, you know, you're, you, you've built an AI product. I'm in the process of shipping my own AI product. And each time OpenAI has a release, I'm like, well, I, I, like, <laughs> well, what does that mean for, for me? Like, and you know, there's been countless articles writ written on this whole topic. And yep. if, you know, if you read a lot of opinions from venture funds and, and investors, they're like, the, the opinion is like, 
don't do it, right? Which is See, also I, not very I, helpful. It's kind of bullshit, no, right? I, I fundamentally disagree with that. So I do too. The, and, well, and we have to remember that venture capitalists are selling money. <laughs> so uh, that's their job, right? So they, you know, they're obviously trying to defend that position that people need money to do big things. Um, so here's, here's kind of my journey, right? So Dropsend, my first company was bootstrapped. We scaled that to 250 grand in revenue a year. And then that was acquired. Then Carsonified was my second company, scaled that to a million dollars a year in revenue. That was bootstrapped. And then Treehouse was my third company. We bootstrapped it actually, and then took venture, um, scaled that to 10 million. Um, but what's fascinating is, is that, like you said, we're indie app developers and there, there's millions of us now, and there's going to be hundreds of millions of us in the future. And the reason why I think that's sustainable and actually good is because if you're a one person company, you know, all you need to do is pick a problem that you're, you're, you are passionate about that you deeply understand that you want to solve, use AI to help you solve it, build the solution. And at 10 bucks a month, if you choose a SaaS model, you could make $15,000 a year, um, a month with just 1,500 customers in the whole world. Like just 1,500 people among 8 billion people that need your solution. And you've built a very, very good income for you and your family, right? And so I think the micro startups that are one person uh, companies in the future are going to dominate. And there is almost an infinite amount of room for those businesses to be successful. They do not have to be $100 million businesses with 10,000, 20,000, 100,000 customers. I think that age is almost over because you could replicate. I, I could build Slack now, like just me. Um, and I could charge a dollar for it. You know, what do you do if you're Slack when that happens? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that's where the term niching down is is really more critical than ever, but it really helps to look at it in the lens that you just described it. You know, there's so many opportunities and there's so many different things that people do, but if you go to the next level, you're going to find like a subset that are into doing the certain thing a certain way, or they have like a specific need because maybe they're, you know, where they're located in the world or there's right. all these different variables. So, so now I think it used to be really hard to build software. It used to be very um, expensive to build software, but now I think you're taking the effort and you're, you're really shifting it over to the strategic part, which was always important, but now it's even more important because you have right. to like really, really zone in hard and like niche down until like it hurts essentially. And that's kind of yep. like what I've learned. Um, so, so yeah. I'd like to say one thing, uh, going back to your point, Ryan, about the, you know, commoditization of some of these things and, you know, like right now, you know, everybody could have a notepad and, and keep track of everybody's names and, you know, things. And the reason why I do it, the reason why you did it is because we're a certain type of person that values that kind of interaction and thinks it's worth, you know, two minutes mm. at the end of a night, you know, my wife and I would sit there and go through the names of people. We'd be laying in bed, be like, okay, so we met Ryan and we met Austin and we, you know, and Ryan's the one with the dog and, you know, like we would just kind of verbalize <laughs> it to kind of reinforce it. But I mean, that doesn't mean that everybody values that. Right. And so I think that, you know, whether or not, um, you know, there's going to be a million of the products that are the same 
I think that that's what we're going to get to. We already kind of get to. I'm curious to see when we talk a little bit more about the Chat GPT store, like how many, how much overlap there is on these products, and like what are the what are the differentiators, and what makes them work best for each individual. And I think that we're going to get to right. a point now, especially with this, you know, th- this technology where you can have a conversation and say, this is my approach to things. You know, um, I want, you know, hi, my travel companion, you know, it knows that I prefer direct flights and it knows that I prefer an aisle seat if possible. And if there's two different flights, it's going to know that my preference is to, I'll take the layover if I could get the upgrade, but I'll, you know, if I can't get the upgrade, then I want the direct flight. And, you know, like all of these little nuances, um, each one of these apps or each one of these things is going to be able to learn that um, and, yep. and build, build to your needs. So a lot of people won't even think about remembering people's names. You know, they're not even going to think about yep. that. But the ones who do will, you know, get a little whisper, like you said. I think it'll be cool. I think though, but what's interesting is, is you know, we we keep saying this, but we're all super, super dur- early adopters, right? And most people that we interact with in the outside world, <laughs> quote unquote, I mean, they don't even really use ChatGPT, right? And so I think there's this golden period, right, that anyone listening to this podcast is going to be able to participate in, which is a period of plenty where you can leverage AI tools and 10x your effectiveness and your output before the world really understands what's going on, right? And and what I mean by that is, you know, for instance, you might be able to wear the new meta glasses, you know, which have audio output and you can listen to music quietly because it, it directs it down to your ear. I can imagine a reality where there's a simple plug-in app for that that is a memory tool that whispers things into your ears when you want to hear them to remind you, right? And you'll have that super ability for a period of a couple of years, maybe five years before the real world even knows what's going on. And I think that's an opportunity that everybody should take. Like if the tech is here and it's affordable and you understand it, take advantage of it and uh, augment yourself. Yeah, I mean, you can go out and buy those Ray-Ban glasses right now. I was walking to the subway the other day, yesterday, I was coming home from the dentist, and there there, there it was, Ray-Ban sunglasses with like the exploded view of this super small like micro camera. And I'm like, yep, I think you can probably get them for like a couple hundred bucks. Uh, you know, I, I don't I think, think so. they're, that, they're that expensive. Um, so... Good yeah, points. and they they don't have the stigma of the Google Glass like it, it did when it first came out. It was so it was so like yeah, so much like you're recording me, and there was like it's funny because there's like this part of the culture that's vehemently you know trying to protect their privacy while also giving up their privacy. You know, there's this kind of illusion yeah. uh, that people still kind of live under that they're not constantly on camera, that they're not constantly being recorded, that they're not, you know, like they still have this delusion that, that they're not, that we're not completely surveilled, you know, already. Right. And, you know, so you right. see them, it'll be like, oh, I don't like that. Cause they, then it knows what I'm doing. It's like, it already knows. You click the, you, you click the, I agree. I agree. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. 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 It's so that was going to be like my next thought, right? We've, we've talked a lot about, about really privacy here and whether you accept it or not, like this isn't a new problem. If you use the internet, you're 
you're getting recorded, you know, everything that you do, unless you're like very explicit about it, which is a very small percentage of the population, you know, using VPNs, you know, being secure, like really knowing what you're agreeing to, uh, like, let's just say nobody does that. So, but now I think it's, it's going to be an interesting thing to see because it's going to be more obvious when the general public becomes aware of a set of glasses that have a camera in them because they're going to know because they're going to be paying they're good they can see they have eyeballs right they can read they can read the advertisement so i'm curious to see how society reacts even though like this isn't really necessarily a new thing it's just it's way more prevalent and in your face what do you, what do you guys think about that i don't know um I think, I, I think there's, we, we've evolved, um, and it's going to be hard for us to quickly catch up our DNA to what's happening. So what I mean by that is even though I know someone is probably remembering my name because an AI is telling them, I still like it. And, and I think that just isn't going to go away. So my, my gut instinct is if someone's recording me or, or, I have less privacy, but I'm still having a human experience that I like because of the way I've evolved to be social and connected. Um, I'll probably still delight in that. Um, and, and and the great sort of um, uh, acceptance that I'm not really having any privacy, I think, is, is already passed. I think people have gotten over that. And uh, we're now in a world where we just accept it. Yeah, I think I think. Th- I think about the Orwellian idea of uh, what privacy was. You know, I recently went back and reread 1984 because sometimes it feels like, oh my oh, wow. gosh, like what are we doing? You know, like where where is this all going, and why are we continuing down this path? And the one thing that is starkly different about Orwell's view of the world was uh, how important privacy was um, then you know, like his idea of being invaded was really through, you know, what we currently already have and accept as being surveilled constantly, you know, whether it's our phones or televisions or, you know, whatever it is. I think that our concept of what privacy is, is completely different, if at all existent anymore, to what was, you know, 60, 80 years ago, 50 years, 30 years ago, you know, like, well, as, and as the generations progress, the, the, the remembrance and understanding of what privacy is, uh, is lost with the generation. Right. So my kids don't have any understanding of, of, you know, non-digital privacy that they just don't understand what that means. Right. And so I, I think it fades and we go from there. I think an interesting application of this is with gpts right so the the new gpt store came out and the the big question is what's going to happen how is this going to work uh where is the world going to go here but a lot of the questions around privacy so i I did a uh a a space on x earlier and folks were saying so if you use a gpt and and you talk to it is the creator of the gpt can they read your chat and the answer is no they can't but people aren't sure about these things right now right and so I think we're trying to all figure out like who knows what, but I'm chatting to an AI. And I think people need to be aware that when you're chatting to an AI, it's absolutely stored in a database. 
someone absolutely reading it and it's not a private conversation until you have that large language model on your device and you're running it locally. Yeah. Otherwise you're not. Huge, huge point right there. I I think that this is where Apple and whomever is going to be producing the next set of phones and devices, you're going to start seeing these models, the LLMs directly locally on, on the phone. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's yep. that's the clear the clear next step here. So I think that and probably VR are going to be like the the next like big like hardware yep. sort of advancements here. Because think about this, like so Gemini Nano. Um, I, I've heard can already run on a Pixel, um, and you I would bet all my money on the fact that the next iPhone is going to have a local LLM um, uh, as well. Uh, and what's interesting about that is think about how doable a very effective large language model will be on a phone when all it's really doing is training on a pretty small uh, set of data, which is the things you say. Like you don't actually say that much. <laughs> and <laughs> and so if you put it down in text and you fed it into an LLM and had it trained, it could be a tiny model and it would be ridiculously effective. Um, as speaking as you, remembering what you said. So I'm really excited about local large language models. I mean, you look at at, uh, um, at some of the things that are coming out right now with that, and I, I just will be fascinated to see where this goes. Yeah, so one thing that surprisingly didn't get too much coverage was Apple's Ferret yeah. LLM, which I thought was a very interesting name because from what, I, under from what I understand, the, the whole premise behind that is okay like how do we how do we get this locally onto the device so i was quite surprised that that didn't make the headlines like like all this other stuff but i i think it's it's, it's pretty techy like the the amount of people that understand what a large language model is pretty small it's true right? and then the subset of those understand you can run an lm on your local machine like what does that even mean Right, and then running on your phone is even a subset of that. Um, but like you said, it's actually massive news. The fact that you could effectively have a artificially intelligent being that lives natively on your phone that's completely private to you, that doesn't even need the internet. Like that, people don't understand. Like you can have tech without the internet, and and a local LLM is that. Like you could have a being that lives on your phone that doesn't even need to talk to the internet that is intelligent. That's yeah, crazy. it's it's huge. I, I think that that's way bigger news than the GPT App Store. <laughs> like, it's yeah. not even a comparison because <laughs> I uh, I have very mixed. Maybe this is a good segue into the App Store. So Let's do it. So the uh, the GPT OpenAI App Store launched yesterday, right? And so for those of you listening who don't know what this is. OpenAI has released their own version of a of an app store, GPT app store. So you can go in and you can create your own GPTs. So say that I am a person and I have some plumbing knowledge and I make like a GPT plumbing companion. You can go and you can ask it questions and I will respond to you, you know, in my own specialized, you know, kind of tone. It's a very basic example. But Essentially, what OpenAI has done is it has empowered really anybody to go in and easily wire up these GPTs and put them on the marketplace and, and sell them, right, in some cases. So 
this is a um, going to be a, an interesting thing to keep an eye on because like, what does this look like in contrast to the apps that we're already very used to using? You know, Apple has their app store, Samsung has like there's an app store for every every company right right now. And how does this new flavor of, of app fit into the whole thing? And one thing that is really quite different about these is in a lot of ways, they're very single purpose almost. The interface is very much the same across the board. You know, this is why people decide to go and take the APIs that these companies like OpenAI and Google provide and build their own custom products around them because you can you can have your own user experience, which I personally think is is very important, right? Especially if you're catering to agree. a certain um, demographic and niche, like you want to really be able to hit all those targets. So Ryan, a question for both of you guys. What are your opinions on this? Do you do you think that the App Store will will be a success? Like, how do you think that people are going to adopt this? So, I went in and tested several GPTs yesterday. Um, one's called Logo Maker. One's called Logo G GPT. Uh, one's called Logo Creator, um, and one's called Designer GPT. Uh, I was only impressed with one of them, and and here's why. Uh, Logo Maker, Logo GPT, and Logo Creator, all were 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 just a chat interface, right? And so it said, I said, I want to create a logo for a podcast, and it said, Great, sounds like a fantastic uh, project. You know, uh, do you want it to be symbolic? You know, what kind of color palette do you want? What kind of style? And and then it pumped out a logo, and I was like, This is just ChatGPT, <laughs> okay, um, using Dolly. So okay, that's not helpful or, or interesting the second one was a little better it said okay we've got you know 15 styles to choose from which style do you want i answered a question then it said you know what what do you, what uh what kind of tone do you want pick one a little bit more interesting and so it, it was just basically it was just prompt engineering right and i was like i don't this this isn't magical the way that just chat gpt plus is magical i don't think this is going to work um but then I used one called Designer G GPT, and it actually designs and builds a web page for you. And the way it's doing it is it's using Replit. And so what it's actually doing is it's um, using, um, uh, and what, what's the technical name for um, the code tool analyzer now in GPT? I'm blanking. Um, advanced analyst mode. Um, and which can write code. And basically it was using that and then it ships it off to a replit instance and then actually builds the web page for you and then gives you a link. And I was like, okay, now we're talking, right? This thing is actually doing something and building something. Um, I can see how this is valuable. Um, so so we'll question see. for you was that, so that was a free GPT um, included within your subscription, right? Yep. How long, how long did it take for the Replit to respond? Like, how long was the the whole round trip from "Hey, I want this logo in this website" to "Okay, cool, I got the prompt, I send it over to Replit, Replit sends it back." What, what did that whole process look like? So it said, um, "I said design a web page with a with a nature theme," and it said, "I will do that for you." You know, it's going to have a navigation bar, it's going to have a main area, it's going to have a subscribe section. Um, so they obviously prompt engineered it to say, okay, describe the solution that you're going to build. 
Um, and then, you know, either I assume using an API um, to replit um, using functions, right? Because if, if people are listening, they don't quite understand what's happening here. When you build a GPT, you can either speak to it. You can use natural language to build it and say, I want you, I want to build a GPT that tells a funny joke uh, by Ricky Gervais, you know, randomly. And then it will build that for you. Or you could say, I want to code it. I want to write the system instruction and I want to write some functions that it calls. Um, and I want to use these tools, right? And so what this person has done that created Designer GPT is they're using the APIs to replit, um, to write the code, and then it actually spins up a replit instance and then deploys it for you. Um, now, that whole experience probably took 90 seconds. You know, not bad. No, <laughs> so. that's not bad at all. And for those of you who don't know what we're talking about when we mentioned Replit, so Replit started as a way to write code in the browser. So you, instead of having uh, what's called an IDE, an integrated development environment, you would just go to your browser, you would start writing code, you would have all your dependencies, everything right there you know, in your browser window, so it made it super easy. But then they started to really build on to their product offering with the community so you could post bounties. Essentially, that's being like, hey, I want this thing built put it out to, to the community. And then you have this kind of like crowdsource type of environment going on where people bid on, on, you know, your project. But I like this use case the most for Replit. I've used Replit in the past, you know, in the old school model when I wanted um, someone to do something for me for cheap. And like, the yeah. thing is, it's kind of like insulting as an engineer to be on there because like you're getting something built and like people only want to pay like 50 bucks. So it's really not right. worth like most people's time. <laughs> but this is fantastic because it does it. You take that whole problem out of the equation and you're like, hey, just have the AI do it. So they've been building AI functionality into Replit, you know, for the last, you know, probably years here. But this is this is a good use case. And I think highlighting the external integration here of Replit is actually probably something that you're going to have to do if you do decide to go in and, and build a, a GPT, obviously not yeah. just Replit, but any sort of like integration that is outside of just a, a GPT prompt, right? Yeah. So I want to triple click on what you're saying about UI and user experience, because I think that all the arguments around uh, uh, the fact that it's not valid or not interesting to build a wrapper around an API like chat GPT and, and w for non-techie people, what I mean is like using all of the power of open AI to launch an app that, that uses that power, um, is because I think humans really need to be guided through an experience. And the problem with all these GPTs is it's just, you're just talking to it and it's not guiding you. There's no steps. There's no, there's no UI. There's no, it, it, it just feels very, um, disorienting. Yeah, and I think I think that's one of the things you really did a good job of building into um, Maple is that, you know, if I want to learn about sales, but if you don't know anything about sales, you don't know where to start. You don't know, like, what do I need to know as to be a successful salesperson? You don't know what questions to ask. You don't even right. have a, a point of reference. So I think that you did a really good job in terms of creating an environment where it's like, okay, this is, I'm, I'm talking to somebody who knows something about this pro this process and is going to guide me through um, the learning process. So I think that the more handholding 
um, that these GPTs can do instead of just being another rapper. Um, if they could build a rapper, that's kind of a guided tour. Um, and you could skip that one. That doesn't apply to my business. This one applies to my business, you know, a little bit of customization. I think that there's, you know, there, that's where the successful GPTs and the successful things will come. You know, when Austin and I started talking about this, when, you know, when, uh, chat GPT was launched and, you know, it became a big thing, you know, I just started keeping bookmarks of like all the AP, you know, the AI tools I found. And, and the list became immediately ridiculously overwhelming, um, hard to or organize, you know, like all of a sudden I have like, you know, tabs under tabs under tabs. And then, and then it's like when I now, yeah, now I can't even find what I was looking for. And I'm like, okay, which category did I put that one? Oh, that's sales process. Let me go to that one. And then you go to it and it's yes. like the company's out of business or they're gone or it's just, you know, so I feel like, I feel like there's like, you know, with the GPT store, if you know, there's got to be a curated process to it. There's got to be, you know, upticks yep. and downticks and, you know, things a way to filter through the noise because there's so much noise. Like, you know, you, you rattled off five logo makers, you know, there's, there's 200. And there's thousands. You know, like, yeah. It's like, it's yeah, like, it's, we, we, we want curation and we want editorialized content. Like as humans, we actually deeply value that. Right. And, and thank you for your confidence on Maple. The reason why I built it the way I did is because, you know, we taught a million people how to code at Treehouse. And what we, every single one of those students could have gone to YouTube and bumbled their way through and figure out how to code, right? They could have Googled some stuff and wandered around the internet. But what they came to us for, the reason why they paid us 25 bucks a month is so that we guided them. And so, you know, Maple is very simple. It's like, okay, there's 17 steps that you need to go through to learn sales. We're going to guide you through each one and you're going to talk to an AI as you go, right? I think humans really crave that strong opinion, low configuration uh, model, no matter what it is. It's like, I want to go to Greece. Like, I don't want a thousand options of where to stay and how to get there. I want one really thoughtful path, you know, give me that. And, and, and then, and, and you can use AI to build that, but I don't want... I don't want to make a thousand choices. I'm not good at that. Yeah. I think you nailed it when you were talking about the noise and, and curation. So another thing I've thought a lot about, you know, in, in terms of this whole conversation is, is how do you do that? Like, what does that whole strategy look like? Right. Um, I think that now, like I said before, I'm kind of repeating myself on this, but it's, it's really, really important is like that step is, is, much harder and, and even more important than ever. Yep. hundred percent. Even if it's AI, it's like, we still want a, a thoughtful process um, to go through it. Yeah. We, we need the, we need the guided hand and you know, you can, you don't have to be a psychologist to know that the number of choices stifles you you know what i mean you, if you've ever been to a cheesecake factory and you open up the menu you know you're like <laughs> i don't know what i want exactly. here all of a sudden you know i came in for cheesecake and all of a sudden i feel like having chinese food i don't know what's happening on this <laughs> menu you know it's like it's like <laughs> and then you mention it to your family members and they look at you like you're crazy we're a cheesecake factory why are you having chinese food it's like i don't know why is like, chinese I don't food know. on the menu you know it's like, because it's one of my thousand <laughs> options <laughs> exactly <laughs> um, yeah it's crazy so do you think this 
this breeds a whole new level of indecisive human beings. Oh boy. <laughs> I don't know. I had a really interesting experience the other night. So, um, you know, I was trying to think through some big issues in my life, like big picture, long-term stuff. Right. And I don't know about you all, but sometimes you can go get in your head and you just kind of spiral or you go down rabbit holes and you're not even sure, like, is this effective and, and who do I talk to? And my wife is asleep, so I can't talk to her. Uh, you know, I don't have a therapist. Like, and so I was like, I'm just going to talk to ChatGPT for a while. And I, I decided I'm going to press the button that, um, that, uh, transcribes what I say versus talking to it and have it listen, have it talk back. So I want to just talk for a while. And, and, and after about an hour long conversation, I was able to really get to clarity. You know, and I, I, I think like this is going to become a major behavior pattern for humans in the future. And I, I, I'm really interested to see where it goes. Like, I don't want someone to fix me. I don't want a psychologist. Like, I just want a thought partner, like to, to work through this and see if I'm crazy or not. Or, or, and I really came to a good place at the end of it, like feeling good about the strategic direction of what I was trying to do next. Yeah, that's really good to hear. So I love the question. I'm glad you asked it because I was going to ask it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I'll tell you my experience and then Mike, I'd love to hear yours. So I'll be honest, I'll share like a, a very personal experience. I got a new therapist recently and because um, I'm, I'm dealing with the same thing right now. It's, it's like I feel completely overwhelmed. There's just so many things to go after and I'm I'm like, I, I feel like it's almost being detrimental to me in some ways because I see so many opportunities, but I'm like forcing myself to have to just be able to stay on the course that I've already set myself on. All right. And I've never really had a problem with this before up until now. And I'm like really struggling with it. So I guess what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to spend time with a human to see if they can help me straighten out my brain here a little bit. But I also do plan on experimenting with ChatGPT around this because, to your point, it's, it's capable. So one thing that I also want to do is I want to build this sort of thing into the AI product that I'm working on, which is uh, really like food and health related. But there's also a whole, you know, mental health situation as well that you can layer on top of it. So it's like a trifecta. If you can have your mind straight, if you can be healthy, and then if you can exercise and you have all these things, then you're going to be you're going to be set up as a really fundamentally solid human being, right? Love that. So that's what I'm interested in in working on. Um, and, but, and you uh, can't go out and hire someone to do that. Like, no. And, and, and they're not going to be available when you need them, which is at 11, 13 p.m. when you're struggling with stuff or you're confused or you're trying to make, exactly. make things work, right? Well, you can't. Well, yes. Yes and no. You, uh, What I think will happen, and I, I've seen this, this pattern kind of emerging. So I have a doctor that I went to a long time ago and I got an email from him the other day and he happens to be a cardiologist. And what he's done is he launched this whole new um, service. I forget the name of it, but essentially it encompasses his cardiology practice, a mental health practice and a nutritional aspect. So he's trying to put that under one roof and I'm sure that it's really, really expensive. And you see, um, 
you know, other people trying to take a stab at this. Mr. Um, Peter um, Diamantis, he has a whole elaborate thing that he wants to do. A little bit different than we're talking about, but kind of similar in a way for holistic health. So Mm. we're talking going in, scanning your whole body, getting like, I think it's like 150 gigs of data, something insane. But to your point about like, that's only going to be for for a very small percentage of the population that can actually afford that, right? So I looked into this because it would be something that I actually would be interested in doing. And for like one scan, it's something like, I think it's like 12 to 15 grand just for one scan right now. So it's really expensive. If you, if you join uh, the memberships, like 20 grand annually or something like that. So like that excludes like everybody, right? Um, (laughs) Obviously insurance isn't going to cover it. So, but, but what I'm getting at here is there's the opportunity, right? Like there's this whole, you know, swath of people that will easily give me like, 10 bucks a month, 15 bucks a month, whatever it is. Mm. And you know, right. I, it's, it's can't, you can't compare it to a full body scan, but if you can, if you can feel 10% better, if you can feel 15% better, I think a lot of people will take that. So. Amen. A lot of this, um, all comes together when you're talking about the personalized LLM and now you take your Google watch and your Google uh, Air, AirPods, and now you have like your goggle, thing on so now it's like reading your retina it reads your eyes it knows what your pulse rate is it knows what your blood sugar is it knows what you know what things are going on in your body and your biology and now if you throw in any kind of you know breathalyzer or maybe a little bit of a you know a blood sample or something like that like that this large you know these uh, localized language models will be able to analyze your data and to ryan's point earlier it's really not that much data when you're looking at like mm. a single individual. So if you just yeah. took all of those, you know, your Fitbit and your, you know, your EKG and all of these things and you just put it into one place and oh, here's my blood type. You know, here's the day I was born, so you know what moon I was born under and you know like these different, <laughs> you know, data points. Um I think that you know you're going to have that type of not only, you know, uh, physical information, but then you throw on the mental health and then cardio and right. things like that where it's like it's going to be amazing. It's going to, I think it's really going to unlock a period of, of health uh, that has been unseen in human history. Because, you know, for instance, like we were having a, a, a conversation, we were watching a show um, as a family and, and, and Jackson um, uh, had an interesting question, my kid, about, you know, history. And what's interesting is before you'd have to kind of Google it and figure it out and you wouldn't really get to a very good answer. But we got to you know a pretty balanced explanation of what happened and had more knowledge, right? That was interesting. And then I had another conversation about health with my other kiddo, and we were talking about what is this, and should we go see a doctor about it, uh, and what does it mean? And we came up to a, a pretty reasonable you know uh, decision, and it turned to help. It turned out to help him. And and these are all like these tiny data points that we're not directly measuring, like right now. But this will happen more and more, right? Where people are starting to make healthier decisions for their bodies and their minds because they have access to more wisdom, right? And then, like you said, when they have access to your actually your actual biometric data and, and you start to get good uh, wisdom 
on your behavior, like it's going to really start unlocking longer lifespan and, 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 and larger mental health. Like, can you imagine at the end of the day, you know, if my local large language model, you know, had, uh, had parsed all of my conversations for that day. And I said, Hey, can you like, give me some feedback on my conversations today with my kids? Like, I feel like it just didn't go very well, you know? And it would say, you know, you did a good job actually of this, but that, that was kind of, you were pretty inconsistent when you, when you said, do this and enforce this rule, you might want to consider it. It's like, holy shit. Like that would be amazing. Yeah. Right. For sure. I mean, that's going to happen. Like, and then you'll be a healthier, healthier, better parent. Right. Yeah. There's, there's tremendous benefits. There is one problem though. And that problem is, you know, okay, fine. We can take care of, say we can take care of like the health aspect physically. We can dial in our communication. We can be mindful of how we talk to people and all that stuff. But the thing that so worries me is the, the toxicity of, of social media and, and people that spend a lot of time on there, because that's going to be like an opposite force. Right. So I'm wondering, this is probably like a whole other episode, but I'm wondering how those two coexist together because you could have, because you can probably pretty easily make the case that the people that are largely responsible for pushing this stuff, you know, into fruition right now are the same people that base their whole company on optimizing for engagement at, at any cost possible. <laughs> so, you know, it's like a, it's a conundrum, if you will. It is, it is. Gosh. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure like uh, our, our kids are going to look at social media as poison. I hope just, they do. Like, that would make me about, so happy. But they will like, I mean, it, well, just the way we look at smoking, like our parents all smoked, like, you know, a pack a day. Like, and, and we're going to look back on social media and say, that was poison. It's insane that, that you all did that. Um, I hope. Yeah. There's a, there's a, uh, there's a, a comedian, his name is Ronnie Chang and he talks about that. He's like, you know, you know how smart you think you are, but you let your kids like have unadulterated access to all the world's information unsupervised. <laughs> like, you know, like what is wrong with you people? You know, it's like, yeah, who thought that was a good idea? <laughs> I know. It's like, it's wild. Someone who wanted to make money and they're called, they were called Facebook and their job. I mean, I, you know, Tramath Pal Hapatio was my first investor at, at Treehouse and his, he was, he was very early in Facebook. I think maybe he was like employee, I don't know, five, 10, something. And he said his job was to increase engagement and, 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 and get more people in to the platform. Like that was the whole job. Right. And it's like, had no other purpose than um, unhealthy behavior. Um, yeah, anyway, the unhealthier gonna, the more clicks. Dark. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. So that we can I do mean, a whole other episode on that. <laughs> it, it's true. Um, the the gentleman from the um, Humane uh, Center for Humane Technology, one of the co-founders, he, he was the um, inventor of the ultimate scroll, Azar Raskin. And he talks about it a lot, how at the time they thought that they were just essentially solving a cool UX problem, right? <laughs> totally. <laughs> and and come, to come to find out 
like he was the 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 godfather of the whole the whole thing like the 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 ultimate scroll like ultimate dopamine hits like one after another like as much as you can take you can have ended up to be a really bad thing but what's interesting is to hear him talk about that because he's like hey like we didn't think about this at the time like we were just trying to make a cool product but we had no idea the ramifications of it and i i love that now he's he's one of the founders of of this thing that is trying to be you know so impactful and be like hey like you guys we all have to be really mindful of this you know we learned a whole bunch of of really hard lessons from the whole social media movement and let's just not make those same mistakes again so amen all right well i think we've covered a lot today um awesome talk guys you know we we hit all of the the points Thanks so much, Ryan, for for joining us today. And for the listeners out fun. there, I hope you enjoyed it. I love chatting with you all. Yeah. Um, feel free to subscribe, like our podcast. You know, it really helps us grow the channel and the show. And until next time, thanks, everyone. Mm-hmm.